Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 59, verses 1 to 16 and 20. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing, and they cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. So justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none, for deliverance, but it is far away. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of weeks ago, it was after the service, and I was in the Fellowship Hall lobby talking to Kevin and Melissa Meme. When all of a sudden, Brendan sticks his head through the door from the Fellowship Hall and says, Mom, Dad, Nora took my boot and I don't know where it is. And then Nora very quickly stuck her head through the door and says, No, I didn't. It's just sitting over there. He just doesn't know where it is. 
often, you know, Brendan was looking for an intervention. He felt like an injustice had been done against him. And he was looking for an intervention from his parents. You know, after attending to that particular situation, we went on to a quick conversation about parenting and what it, we are to do as parents when we respond to one child tattling on another. And it's helpful, I think, in those moments to acknowledge the feelings of that child. But it's also helpful to ask the child who's tattling, it's like, what exactly do you want me to do about this? As I replayed the scene in my mind a few, over the past few weeks, I thought about how the scene wasn't just about a lost boot. It's about a fundamental human experience that we often feel. Something has happened, and we say, that's not fair. We want someone to intervene. We want someone to see the injustice and that's been done against us. And we want the offending party to pay. We want justice in the face of injustice, whether it's perceived or whether it's a reality. So how do we often respond to injustice? Well, there's the fatalistic approach, and I, I as a parent have used this. It's like, well, life's not fair. Just deal with it. A fatalistic view towards injustice leads us to think that justice will never come. And so we're tempted to distract ourselves with other things or simply sit and wallow in our depression. Then there's the activist response to injustice, where we say, well, this is motivating me to go do something about it. I'm not going to sit around and complain. I'm going to fight back. An activist view towards injustice leads us to think that justice is just around the corner if we're willing to take matters into our own hands and make people pay. But there's a Christian worldview, and it offers us a different approach to injustice, one that doesn't relent to justice that might not ever come, but also one that doesn't unrealistically presume that justice is very near because of our action alone. So in today's text, we're going to explore how particularly in this season of Advent, it offers us an opportunity to, one, face the injustices around us, two, embrace our injustice, and three, see how God embraces injustice. See the injustice, face the injustice, embrace our injustice, and see how God embraces injustice. The season of Advent is countercultural as it invites us to slow down as we've been reminding ourselves in this service, to attend to those longings that remain yet unfulfilled in our lives and in our world. These longings for true peace, longings for true love, and for true justice, as we're going to look at today. And without attending to these longings, we can often find ourselves overwhelmed by those things in our world that stand opposed to these qualities. And so we distract ourselves with other things. How many of us have heard or how many of us have said ourselves, you know, I just can't watch the news. It's way too depressing. One of the gifts of the Christian calendar is that it enables us to face the realities of our human experience with honesty. And in a season where consumerism and year-end get-togethers promise us those hits of endorphins to our bodies, but we're tempted to gloss over or outright ignore the injustices around us with our shopping, with our eating, and with our traveling. The season of Advent enables us to remember how God sees the brokenness of our world 
and how he faithfully entered into our brokenness once in history and how God will once again faithfully re-enter in the future to make all things new. Because God has done so, we are invited to face the brokenness rather than distract ourselves from it. The prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah 59 speaks to the people of Israel while they are in exile in Babylon, far from home, under the oppressive rule of a powerful empire. But the people of Israel are longing for their own land and for freedom from injustice. You know, God uses people, uh, prophets like Isaiah to f- help Israel face the injustice around them. The prophetic voice helps God's people see things as they are rather than hide our eyes from their realities. But what happens if we really open our eyes to these injustices and evils around us? It can be overwhelming. Like the story that we opened with, we're inclined to say, that's not very fair. What kind of things make you say that in our world? Maybe it's seeing the accumulation of wealth and power by an ever more selective few at the expense of the vulnerable. That makes me say, that's not very fair. Or maybe the way the rich and the powerful get out of facing consequences through lawyering up and filing countersuits and appeals and clogging the legal system. Uh, Julie and I just went to watch Dark Waters last night, and it's an amazing movie. I won't spoil it for you, but it's about that. And we're like, that's not fair. Or perhaps there's a famous convicted sex offender who has committed suicide while waiting sentencing. And when that happens, we say, well, that doesn't seem very fair. And then you hear the news of the two prison guards who are convicted of falsifying records while on suicide watch. He's like, well, that's not very fair. And then you hear the prison guard union say, well, the prisons are underfunded and understaffed. And you say, well, that's not fair. It's unfairness upon unfairness and upon unfairness. And then there's um, this this, uh, article I saw. It's, this is the same newspaper, two pages apart. On one page, it says uh, a teen, who is a white teen, is charged with murdering another teen. But on two pages earlier, it's a black thug who's attacked a police officer. That doesn't seem very fair. Maybe a bit closer to home. Seniors we find are being taken advantage of financially by promises of wealth and riches or just longing for connection. Or people who can't afford to leave their jobs because of the health coverage they would have to forego if they did leave. We cry. There's lots of things in this world that cause us to say, that's not fair. We want to point out the evils and the abuses of the perpetrators of injustice. In Isaiah 59, That's what Isaiah is doing. He's saying, your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, your tongue mutters wicked things. But notice how the text moves from this second person, plural, in verses 2 and 3, your hands, your fingers, your lips, your tongue, to the third person, plural, in the following verses. They conceive trouble. Their deeds are evil. Their feet rush into sin. They pursue evil schemes. And they do what we're inclined to do. Point the finger at others. I think we're pretty good at that too, right? It's often someone else's problem. And in our acutely woke culture, we may find it very easy to band together with other like-minded people who think we're just as woke as, as, as who they think 
we, who we think are, they're as woke as we are. And we point out the intolerance, and we point out the injustice around us. And you only have to open up your news source or your social media feed and see all these injustices that roll up and cause us to say, that's not very fair. When we face the injustices in our world, it can be overwhelming. Even if perpetrators manage to be convicted, it's a fraction of those who actually commit the injustice. Who can do anything about it? Will justice ever really come? The prophet Isaiah highlights the insidiousness of injustice and unrighteousness, and he, set, and he explains how it's pervasive. In verses 4 to 8, we are given this image that all parts of humanity are given over to evil. Their hands commit violence. Their feet shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are evil. Their lips speak falsely. There is no part of humanity that is not touched by unrighteousness. And wherever humans tread, injustice follows. In verses 7 and 8, they pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways, the way of peace. They do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks on them will know peace. As easy it is to see injustice and unrighteousness in the world, as much as we want to point the fingers at others or corrupt systems, God speaks through Isaiah to point out that no one actually escapes its effects. We are, we are just as much a part of the problem, simply because we're human. Everywhere humans go, injustice follows. It doesn't matter how woke you might be and how active you might be in pointing injustice out. And therein lies the problem with humanity. And for some, the ad only adequate response to broken humanity is to limit human growth. In the Matrix movie series, you, you might recall Agent Smith. And he articulates the sentiment when he speaks to Neo, the protagonist of the story. And he says, this is the problem of humanity. And you can picture him speaking it in his tone. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species, and I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment. But you humans do not. You move into an area, and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There's another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. And human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You're a plague, and we are the cure. That's the computers. There is no part of humanity that is untouched by injustice and unrighteousness, but the cure for our brokenness cannot be annihilation. What's the point of wiping everything out? There's got to be another solution. Even if the Lord God, even the Lord God demonstrated the futility of this approach when he flooded the earth and preserved Noah's family in an ark, after he's done that, he promises, I will never do this again because it doesn't work. Scripture tells us that the root cause of injustice in humanity and in society and in all of creation is not merely unjust power structures or immoral people in authority. The root cause of injustice isn't just the existence of humans. After all, 
these observations of injustice are seen to be out there, pointing fingers at others, Isaiah tells the people of Israel what the root cause is in verse 12 to 15. He says, for our offenses are many in your sight. For our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs to our God. The first half of the chapter describes the what, the pervasive evil. And verse 9 and verse 14 tells us the result. So there is injustice. The justice cannot be found. Righteousness stands at a distance. And when we get to verse 12, we're told the reason in the four. For our offenses are many in your sight. Notice how the tense switches from second person to uh, third person and now to first person. Your hands, your feet, your lips, their deeds, their cobwebs, their feet. So justice is driven back. So righteousness is far off for our sins are many. Our backs have turned on God. We like to think that injustice is all out there, and if we do a good enough job railing against injustices, if others would recognize what it is that they are doing wrong, if someone with the right influence and with the right resources could just step in, then the problems of this world will be solved. But in reality, no one escapes the pervasiveness of injustice and unrighteousness because all of us have at one point turned our backs on God. In some aspect of our lives, all of us have decided that we know better than others. And perhaps we've even decided that we know better than God himself. And we see more justly than the living God. We are to face the injustices of the world around us, but not without embracing our own injustice and turning from God. And at this point, you might be following along and wondering what grounds there are for God to be the determiner of justice. And why does it matter if we believe in a God of justice? Borrowing from C.S. Lewis, the eminent British theologian and author, he writes in Mere Christianity, reflecting on this law, what he calls the law of human nature. Going back to our original claim, whenever we say, that's not fair, what are we actually doing? When we make a claim like that, We're not just saying that we don't like what this other person did. I mean, we are saying that, but we're saying more than that. When we make a claim like that, we are saying that we're presuming that there is some common rule, some common law that we expect everyone to know and we expect everyone to abide by. When we say, that's not fair, you're not being fair, rarely do people say, well, to hell with your standard. I don't care about that standard. What they're actually saying is, this rule doesn't apply to me in this particular situation. The reality of all of this is that we are bound by some common appeal to justice. And the Christian story tells us that this appeal to justice derives from the living God who is just. All of the injustice and brokenness in the world thus derives from one thing, from people who have turned their hearts and their backs from the living God. When we claim that's not fair, we are appealing to some authority to adjudicate and intervene. And the Christian story tells us that that authority is the Lord God. And in the season of Advent, we are reminded that our longing is for a just God to intervene in our world. Founding Father Thomas Jefferson reflects and expresses this longing in his notes on the state of Virginia 
where he says, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. The Advent season reminds us that someone actually cares enough to see the injustices around us in our world and is able to do something about them. But the resolution to injustice and evil comes as a surprise. And the surprise comes slower in a timing that we most do not expect. When Isaiah prophesies, the Israelites are in exile, and they are about 300 years removed from the peak of Israel under King David's reign. And in verses 15 and 16, Isaiah hints at what God's promise is for this, to this, in response to this injustice. The Lord looked and was displeased. There was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. As he says these words, we find out it takes about 700 years more later for God to surprise Israel with someone, that someone to come. No one was worthy except one. God's embrace of injustice comes in a surprising way. When Jesus Christ arrives and begins his ministry, he surprises the religious leaders because he doesn't come to overthrow the injustices of the Roman Empire who has now occupied the land of the Jews. Instead, he comes to deal with another kind of injustice. In fact, Jesus comes to deal with the source of all injustice. And that's the rebellion of humanity against the God who created them. Rather than overthrow an unjust empire, Jesus appears to succumb to their unjust actions. He experiences the injustice of false accusations in a kangaroo court. He experiences the injustice of being tortured when it's an act of mercy by the governor Pilate to prevent him from being put to death. But in the end, he's put to death even though he's an innocent man. He is rejected by the ones he came to save. But you know what? They're just doing what humanity's been doing all along, turning their backs on the living God. But Jesus is God who comes to embrace our injustice. How do we benefit from all of this, from the arrival of Jesus? Verse 20 tells us the Redeemer will come to Zion and to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. Obviously, Israel, Isaiah is talking to Jacob, but this promise is for all. Those who recognize the actions of, the living God, of a just God in the face of injustice and turn back towards the living God find themselves experiencing all that God has to offer. And what God offers isn't just forgiveness and restoration of relationship. And that's why every week we do confession to remind us of that. But that's not the only thing that God does for us. God gives us the power to act in the face of injustice. Those who experience the forgiveness of God recognize that justice and righteousness they receive in Christ is simply a gracious gift. It's not something that we can secure for ourselves. It's not something that we can fight for ourselves. And so when we face the injustices of our broken world, we don't have to slink away from them because they're too depressing. And at the same time, we don't have to fight against them as if their only uh, resolution depends on us. Instead, we find ourselves propelled into action by the one who is on the move in history. 
towards an even more glorious surprise in the future when Jesus returns once again. When we respond to Jesus with humility and with repentance, we're turning back to the God who created us. We become participants in this slow-motion surprise of God's work in history to right all wrongs, to right all injustices. And this work often seems slower than we might hope, but this work, with God's help, is more hopeful than we could ever know. Because God has once intervened in history and will one day intervene once again, once and for all. So take heart. Don't fear. For God has drawn near in the arrival of his son Jesus, and he will do that once again. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, in this Advent season, it's really easy to be caught up in all the busyness of the season. We thank you for moments like Sundays and maybe on each day when we spend time reflecting on what Advent means. And it may be when we're looking at newspapers or our social media feeds, we don't have to just skim things over when we recognize those things that seem that make us say, that's not fair, God. But we can pray, we can be moved into action, and we can do that with hope because you have given us an incredible resource. You have set us right with you through your Son and through your arrival. So I pray that as we go from this place, you would help us not to turn our eyes from the injustices, not to be overwhelmed by them, but to enter into those places where you call us to speak your truth and your justice and your love and your hope. Make WCF a beacon of your light and your truth. In Christ's name we pray.